much for leading us, and it's good to see everybody. Thanks for all of you joining us on live stream. We hope that you're having a great day wherever you are watching there as well. I did want to say thanks to Katie for leading us in prayer as I did, and really to all of our VBS volunteers. I know that Becky said that already on behalf of the church. I wanted to just say that again. It's very touching. Um, you know, over 100 volunteers. Uh, pretty amazing. So 139 kids. Uh, Truly uh, an, an amazing week. I also want to say a special thank you to uh, Becky Woods. Um, she was here almost around the clock last week, and she did a great job. So if you see Becky down the hall, I think she's back down with the kids this morning. Um, pat her on the back, give her a big thank you. But thank you all. I see so many of you who participated and helped out. So I just want to thank you personally from me and on behalf of church. So let's give another hand to our VBS volunteers. And happy Father's Day for me as well. Hope you're having a good day if you're a dad and that your kids and grandkids will behave and have a joy today. Hope it's a great day for you guys. Thanks to uh, Andrew Perrin for preaching last week as he taught from Romans 3. And to follow up on that today, I'm gonna share from Philippians 3, also written by the Apostle Paul. And like Romans, uh, talking about how we might live now knowing that we are saved by grace. So, so we're saved by grace what do we do with that now? We're gonna learn some of that today from Philippians 3, 7 through 14. Let's hear that now. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it, but one thing I have laid hold of, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, if you were here last week or if you weren't, Andrew Perrin was a guest preacher. He preached on Romans 3, and this week we're in Philippians 3. And in both passages, Paul is very challenging. Paul is, is kind of all or nothing. And I think there's some reason, some of the reason that uh, Paul is challenging to many of us, if not all of us. Paul is all in. It's one of the things I, I like about this passage, but it's also hard for us to read because it's hard to be all in. So we are saved by grace. That's what was in, uh, in Romans 3. Uh, we have our righteousness through God's grace, through Jesus. And Paul says it again here in verse 9 in Philippians 3. 
He says that he has righteousness from God based on faith in Jesus Christ. And so we know, and, and Andrew mentioned this last week, we can't do enough, uh, we can't have enough morality, good intentions, good deeds. We cannot be perfect in order to gain uh, our righteousness. And I, I said before, uh, I'm kind of a recovering perfectionist. I don't know about you. I like things that be just right. But we will never be perfect, and I know I am not. So we must be saved by grace through faith in Christ. So what do we do with that now that we know that? Well, Paul talks about in this passage that he, he talks about himself a little bit earlier in this. He says he was a good Jew. He was very smart. He had the best teaching growing up, the best training. He had a great family background. But all of this, he says, he counts as loss comparing to knowing Jesus. He knows that these things don't save him. And he knows that truly that these things um, don't, in, in, in many ways, don't compare to knowing Christ. So what might that look like today? So if you went to a great college, I'm sure if you did go to college, I'm sure it was a great college. But think about if you, if you took your college degree from, from Purdue or IU or Princeton or Harvard or Stanford and you took your master's degree or your law degree or your medical degree and you took them and you threw them in the trash because you consider them as something lost when comparing to how incredible it is to know Jesus. That's kind of what Paul's talking about. I'm gonna take everything I have, who I am in the past, I'm considering it as loss because how great it is to know and to follow Jesus. And so we can consider other things like rubbish or trash in our own lives. And as I was studying this passage this week, the actual word for rubbish, and I think Jerry talked about this a couple of years ago, actually has many translations. I read it as trash, as rubbish, or garbage. In some translations, it is even uh, translated as filth or even dung, if you know what dung is. We could use other words for that. That's gross, right? But Paul is making a point that nothing compares to knowing Jesus. That's where Paul, again, is all in and challenges us to be all in as well. So Paul uses two analogies, which I think are super helpful in this passage. The first one is a kind of an accounting analogy, assets and liabilities, profits and loss and value. He uses that word values, that word loss, and the things that he's gained, he counts as loss. The second analogy is athletics or sports, which Paul uses other times as well as he talks about here at the end of the passage straining or striving, kind of like straining to get to the finish line, to finish the race. And Paul talks about, uses that analogy in other places. So again, in this passage, we believe, we believe in Jesus. And when we believe, we receive, we receive God's grace, and then we press on towards the goal. We believe in Jesus, we receive his grace and his righteousness, then we press on to follow him to the best of our ability. So what does this look like? You know, this is uh, language here that Paul uses. Sometimes it's very motivational kind of language. What does this look like in real life? 
So for our middle school students here at ZPC, for 20 plus years, they have gone to Great Escape. Now, it didn't happen the last couple of years because of the pandemic. That's how Brendan and others created uh, momentum. So this year, they're, they're having Momentum Plus. There's a bunch of kids also going to Great Escape as well. Now, I've, I went to Great Escape as a leader a couple of times, but when I was a youth, way back when, uh, I went to the high school version of Great Escape called Fun in the Sun. So I grew up in Texas and we drove all the way to Jekyll Island, Georgia to go to Fun in the Sun. And I, I learned a lot there. I was a high school student, then as a college student, as a, as a leader with my high school group. One of the things, and I, I very much remember, it was like one of those moments where a light bulb went on for me and my, and my faith. When one of the speakers talked about, it's not what we get out of worship, or it's not what we get out of church, it's what we can give. When we come to worship, what can we give? What can we give to Jesus? It's not so much what we get, but what do we give? And as I was thinking about giving, how do we talk about giving? What's it look like to give? You know, what, what can I give to Jesus? What can I give to God? What can I give and worship other than maybe a, an offering or, or singing along with the songs or praying with a person leading the prayer. What can I give? And I thought of Christmas gifts. And I think almost all of us, probably all of us, probably all of us, we enjoy giving gifts. And you know when you're little, you enjoy getting gifts, right? And I still enjoy getting gifts. But we enjoy giving gifts. We enjoy when someone unwraps a present or takes it out of the bag and, and they see what it is. So we enjoy Christmas. I know it's Father's Day. If you're a parent or a, or a mom, giving gifts to your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, it's fun. It's fun to give gifts and to see that someone else appreciates it. And what if, uh, how do we give our gifts again in church? What does that look like? And in thinking about Christmas, I thought of this song, uh, Little Drummer Boy. Now, this, is one of, this isn't one of our great hymns of the church, you know, it's not joy to the world or oh come all ye faithful, but I think it's an effective song when you think about it. So I looked up the lyrics again this week because it's June, it's not Christmas time. Here's some of the lyrics, and I'm gonna ask you to help at the very end, I'll tell you when. So here's some of the lyrics of Little Drummer Boy because it speaks about, in his character, he's thinking about what can I give to the baby Jesus? And he says in the lyrics, I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king, Parumpa pum pum Shall I play for you, Parumpa pum pum Mary nodded, Parumpa pum pum The ox and the lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. And all the people said, Parumpa pum pum Let's try that one more time. Parumpa pum pum yes. So the little drummer boy, he says he has nothing to give. He, has no, he, has, he doesn't have a gift like the, the wise men, the magi. He can't bring them big gifts, but he says, here's what I've got. I'm a drummer. I can play my drum for him. Mary, is that okay? And, the, and the song says that Mary nods, and so he plays his drum for him. So when we think about, you know, we're saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We're, we only know uh, Jesus really through faith, so what can we give back? And like the little drummer boy, we find something in our own lives, in our own resources, because we're all unique, we all have different skills and abilities that we can give back to God. And then 
I also like to think about what's that motivation, you know, to strive for the finish line, to think about counting things as lost. What's the motivation to, to give back to God? And again, I know I've said this before, but I think often of 1 John 4, we love because God loved us first. And John says there, therefore, love one another. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, if you love me, as he loved us first, if you love me, obey my commands. Basically, follow my teaching. The way that we show our thanks, our, our gratefulness to God and to Jesus is to follow the teachings of Jesus and to love one another. So I mentioned that Paul uses two analogies, he uses that accounting analogy. You know, we, we count everything as loss compared to, uh, to knowing Jesus. I, you know, I, Paul has all these great things. I could set those things aside because knowing Jesus is so much better than that. He even says he wants to suffer for Jesus. Now, I'm not sure I wanna go that far, but, uh, but yes, we wanna count everything as loss. Then he, he switches to his second analogy and really kind of his coach speak here, his motivational talk that he's encouraging us, uh, if you will, to go the extra mile, to get to the finish line, to strive and strain, to give all you can for Jesus. He says this in 12, 13, and 14. I'm gonna paraphrase just a little bit. I press on to laid hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, the goal of living for Jesus. Now, I looked in context this week to make sure this was right, but when, when Paul was writing this and a couple of other of these short letters in the New Testament, he was writing from prison. And he was writing from prison in Rome. So he had been sent from the Holy Land on a ship where he was shipwrecked on the way, almost died, but he didn't. He went to Rome, he was in prison there. And Paul knows because of the, the mood of the time that Christians are being persecuted. He knows that a lot of people don't like him. He, he knows that Jewish people back in Israel wanted to kill him. He knows that he might die. He knows that he might never get out of prison or even if he does and is sent back home, someone might be out to get him. And still, he wants to strive for it all, to give all, to get to the finish line. To, to use some other sports cliches, because I like sports, to leave it all on the court, to leave it all on the field, field, to leave it all at the track. But much of this sounds like motivational talk. I think that it mixed in with some churchy language. So how do we really live this out? You know, counting things as loss, knowing that we're saved by faith so we can't earn it. But we too, like Paul, we wanna strive and strain to follow Jesus. How do we do this? Living for Christ costs something. Again, to kind of use that accounting analogy. It can cost time, uh, money, our resources, our energy. And sometimes, perhaps, even as Paul says, he wants to join Christ in his suffering. Sometimes we might even have to suffer for our faith. Sometimes the giving of time, the giving of money, the giving of ourselves to, to serve someone else even more than ourselves does feel as if we are suffering because we're costing so much. It's cost us so much to give. Um, so I got to officiate a wedding last night. It was a great young couple here from ZPC. Uh, it was downtown Indianapolis. It was a beautiful sight. 
And I really like doing weddings. I, I told uh, one of the families at the reception that, you know what, I think weddings, when we kind of look at a culture where oftentimes there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of negativity, weddings, especially I think young couples, when they kind of have their whole lives ahead of them, they're really joyful. You know, it's one of the places that I think is probably the most joyful places in our culture, and that's what I really like about weddings. I often get to do the premarital counseling as I did with this couple. I think we met four or five times. We had a great time. Uh, now, this couple is, is wonderful, but oftentimes these young couples, they kind of have stars in their eyes. They think everything is gonna be rosy and beautiful and good, you know, and they're looking forward to the wedding day. Everything's wonderful. Maybe they're stressed a little bit about some of the details, which is normal. And even though I'm a glass half full and I like things to be joyful, I like everybody to be happy, um, I do in my premarital counseling try to dissuade them that life is too rosy, and I tell them, it will not be perfect. Now that's easier to do sometimes if they're a little bit older and they've been out in the working world for a while and they've been out kind of on their own for a while, they're like, yeah, we get it, we know that. We know that sometimes life is hard. But I tell them again and again, not only from my own experience, but from I think the truth of what the world is like, that marriage based on love, marriage even based on the love of God, the way that God loves us, it takes sacrifice, it takes patience, forgiveness. You gotta look out for the other person first. There's lots of times where you need to think, what can I do for my spouse instead of doing for myself? You gotta realize that your spouse can't fulfill you or complete you, no matter what they say in the movies, especially in the old movies, if you remember that. They can't complete you because they're human. And marriage can be good, even great, I believe, if we love each other with actions and sacrifice and hard work and we do it for the long haul, day by day, month by month, year by year. So I think that's a good analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but it is a, it's very much a biblical analogy that Jesus uses for our relationship with him that in fact he is the groom and that the church, meaning us, that we are the bride. And so that we want to live with Jesus in that intimate relationship. And so I think of that when, I, again, when we think about these last couple of verses in Philippians 3, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, what is in the future, I press on to heavenly goals. What does he mean, forgetting what is behind? So I looked up a, a source this week, and this was uh, Warren Wearsby, who is a Bible scholars, an older Bible scholar, but I like reading his commentaries. I think I, think I kind of think like Warren Wiersbe in some ways. He said in there, which I think is true, because I was struggling a little bit this week, you know, what does it mean to forget what is behind? I think for me, the big events in my life, if I look back, the big events in my life, uh, the good ones and the bad ones, I remember them very clearly. And if something triggers me, I can go back to that time really quickly. So what does it mean to forget what is behind? And Warren Wiersbe says in the Bible, it does not mean to fail to remember. He says, if we have our right minds, we really can't forget the big things in our past. He says, biblically here, to forget means to no longer be influenced by or affected by. Again, to forget means to no longer be influenced by or, or affected by. And he uses the example 
from the book of Hebrews where God says this through the scriptures. He says, I will remember their sins no more, meaning he will remember our sins no more. God could remember our sins, but he chooses not to, and God chooses not to be affected by the memory of our sins, instead choosing to forgive us. So does that make sense? So forgetting what is behind, it's like setting it aside, knowing for the big things in our past we can't ever fully forget them. How can we then look to the future? So I've read several books on grief the last four years, and, and I think the best one is called, uh, I think it's called Dis Disguised by Grace, I think is what it's called. But Jerry Sitzer, I didn't write down the title, and I looked at it this past week, but Jerry Sitzer is, a, is the author, he's a Christian writer, and he says in grief, and he's talking about things in our past which greatly affected us, oftentimes the grief of a, the loss of a loved one. He says we can incorporate that, we can incorporate things from our past into our present and go forward with them into our future without being overwhelmed by the past. And that takes work. For him, it took work. He had, he had lost some loved ones in his life and was grieving their loss. So when we grieve, grieve the loss of a loved one, someone that is close to us, we should always remember them. We will always miss them. But we can incorporate perhaps some of the, the sweetness or the, the pain even that we feel in grief we can remember what we learned from those people that went before us. We can remember the good things about them. We can remember our experiences with them. And then into our lives, we can incorporate all those senses, those feelings, those experiences, and strive, as Paul says, to go on living in the future, to not give up. And Jerry Sitzer does a great job of, of describing that not fully forgetting what is behind, but incorporating it into our lives, into the presence, then with Christ's help, moving forward into the future. So Paul says we strive or we strain. I would add in there, we strive and our strain with our own gifts and resources like the little drummer boy. What do I have to give? And the goal is to, to reach the goal of living for Jesus in this life. And we are strain, straining to keep it going, running the race like Usain Bolt in the Olympics or like some of you ran the mini marathon back in May perhaps, straining to finish the race well. Well, today obviously it was kind of a special day. We had the VBS video, we had the kids seeing, Elias showed a short video about the high school mission trip. Brendan talked about momentum this week and I wanted to talk again about some of those because I think they help us think through this passage in a way which is tangible for the church. And I wanna thank all the kids again, all the parents, volunteers for BBS. It was a great week as, as Becky said and as others have said. And the theme from Spark Studios, which was kind of like, uh, it was kind of art, you know, you could see over here, this was kind of part of the lab here this week from the stuff on the up front and it was, it was creating things, it was art, it was music, it was science. That was kind of the overall theme of that. That God is the creator, God is the designer, that we can join God in that. So there was a theme slide from Spark Studios, if we can see that now. It looked like this. So we're created in Christ, designed for God's purpose, very similar to the Philippians 3 passage. And Jason helped us to look a lot closer at the slide, if we can see the next slide, Lynn. 
If you blow this up, you can see at the bottom, I don't know why they put it in such small word, letters, but it's Ephesians 2.10. And I asked Becky if we could sing the theme song or the kids could sing the theme song this morning from Spark Studios because it talks about Ephesians 2.10. Here's basically the words of Ephesians 2.10, which, which we sang earlier, paraphrased for this song. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That's when it's in Ephesians 2.10. Again, for we are God's handiwork is another translation, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we come to worship, like you're here on a Sunday morning, we think, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, what can I get out of worship? What did you get out of the sermon? What did you get out of the music? Uh, what did you, did you join in to the prayer? Were you encouraged as you came to worship? These are okay and good questions to ask. But it's not just what do we get out of worship, what do you bring to worship? What is your gift? And I believe the case can be made that living for Jesus Monday through Saturday is worship. If we are living and, and knowing that we will fail, knowing that some of the things we try, we will fall short, we won't do them well, we will mess up, we're gonna have to say we're sorry. But I think the case can be made that living for Jesus in the ways that we talk, that we treat others, the way that we're honest and transparent in healthy ways, the ways that we serve, if you're in the working world, the way that you do your best in your work, that all of these things are worship too. A conversation with a friend, maybe a conversation with a stranger, being there and being present with someone, whether it's a little child or an elderly parent or grandparent, using your time, using your resources, maybe serving here in the walls of the church, maybe serving out in the community like I know so many of you do. These things, all of these things are worship and they are bringing your gifts to God. Now, another part of worship and what is the church's resources is the offering. And I'm sure you have noticed that during the pandemic and since we've come back more fully, we have not passed the offering plates. In fact, there were several months from March to July of 2020, we didn't even worship in person. We sent out a weekly video uh, of worship. And after that, we worshiped in the parking lots from July to October of 2020. And we also sent out a video and then we came back and we had many people watch on live stream. We, we started live stream in October of 2020. With all of that, with the weirdness of all of that, and a lot of time where we weren't in person in worship and a lot of people weren't here, they were staying safe by staying home. You all fully funded our budget in the fiscal year of 2020 and 2021. So that was a year ago. Then this fiscal year, 2021, 2022, still kind of in the pandemic stage for most of that year. A lot of our ministries kind of struggling to begin again. That fiscal year just ended May 31, so it was June 1 to May 31, so just two and a half weeks ago. You fully funded the budget again, and I mentioned this in, in the announcements at this service last week. I think it was $24,000 over the budget last, last year in what you gave, and that is amazing. And I think that's not just then what can I get out of worship? What can I get out of church? But what can I give? And so I wanna talk about then, 
we talk about sometimes the announcements, you know, what, does, what do our resources do? What can we give? I think your giving does some incredible things. And so I wanna take a few minutes to thank you for your giving, but talk about, and I don't wanna take it for granted, our resources can do great things. So on this special day, I wanted to mention a couple of these things. So as we look not backward, but forward, straining to what is ahead, you are fully funding our next gen, our children and teen ministries. So at VBS, at Momentum, at the houseboat trip, which we saw, ZPC and the Next Gen staff and many, many, many volunteers were reaching kids and teens for Jesus. But I wanna tell you, not just ZPC kids, but many, many kids and teens who were guests and visitors. As Becky said, I think you heard her say this, about half of our kids, she had 139 kids at VBS, about half of them were from the community. They weren't ZPC kids. They heard about that God loves them for five nights. They were treated amazingly well and truly cared for it. That's incredible. At uh, the houseboat trip, trip, some of our high school students brought their friends. Some of those friends came back and helped last week at VBS. So they went from being participants to helpers to volunteers. And I asked Brendan last week, I said, do you have a lot of guests and visitors coming to Momentum? I think he said 55 kids, uh, middle school kids will be here tomorrow morning. He said, yeah, absolutely. He didn't have an exact number, but a lot of those kids are kids bringing their friends. They're gonna hear about the grace and the love of Jesus, and they're gonna have an amazing time. Your resources help underwrite that. It helps create stuff like this. It helps to make all that happen. Our live stream services are touching people in different towns and states. They're reaching people um, who need to stay home because of health reasons. You're resourcing that as well. And all during the pandemic and really the last two years, all of our local and international missions have been fully funded and in fact, have been overfunded in some cases. Many additional gifts giving to specific ministries in need like our friends in Romania who are helping people in Ukraine. Again, amazing that you all have done this over the last two years. In fact, Becky mentioned this, she stole my thunder a little bit, but our VBS kids this past week and their families, some of you, even raised money for urban kids, these are kids in, in urban Indianapolis, to go to camp through Straight Up Ministries. So, so a lot of the kids you saw up here and their families raised $2,559, which can send 85 kids to camp for a day. So during a pandemic, you all have been straining forward to tell others about the love of Jesus through your resources in really tangible ways. Even when it is tough, difficult, or it might involve suffering to serve Jesus, you have done that. So we love because Jesus first loved us. What are your assets and liabilities? What might we set aside to count as loss to love Jesus first? We can use our resources, who we are, what we have, our gifts and talents to move closer to be all in for him as Paul encourages us to do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the goal of living for Jesus. Let us pray. Most loving God, it is good to come together and worship, Lord. I know that's why so many people are here. We, we come because we need it. We come because we need on a Sunday morning to sing songs and to pray prayers and to gather with other people, perhaps after a difficult week, to be with other people who share the same faith that we do and to share fellowship 
in the gathering space or down the hallways to bring our children and grandchildren. And God, help us not only to, to feel what can we get out of worship, but what can we give? And beyond that, as Paul encourages us to do, to set aside perhaps our own needs and to use our resources, our gifts and talents and abilities to serve you, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Help us to live for you. In Christ's name, amen.